Uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth, if you're in the blue uh, pew Bible, you'll find that on page 222. The book of Ruth comes right after Judges. That's the big book that's right, right before it. Sometimes it's kind of hard to find Ruth. It's just four chapters long. You know, one thing that um, is so often emphasized in Scripture, especially in the Psalms, is that God's hand of protection, His hand of provision, is always there for His covenant people. The Lord is ever-present, and he's, he, he's always working things together for good in our lives. Whether we recognize it in our current circumstance or not, and that's often the, the, the catch, isn't it? Uh, it is His invisible hand that is always uh, at work. You know, we heard the type of language that we hear from the, the psalmists uh, earlier out of our, our call to worship. Uh, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. Uh, I shall not be shaken. God is a refuge for us. You know, He's there. Uh, all of His power is there. We can depend upon Him even when it's not evident in our lives as we live them that He's there. Now, of course, in reality, we've got to admit it, uh, that we don't live our lives in that way. We don't always rely upon Him as our refuge. We often, I should ask for uh, some hands here, we often rely upon ourselves, don't we? We choose the path that we think is best without first asking that question. What would God desire? Uh, what is His will? What has He said? What is right? And then we do what? We suffer the consequences for our decisions uh, at times, for our sin. Now, both of these are true at the same time. And that's what we see brought out in such a wonderful way in uh, this little book of Ruth. Again, just four chapters. Uh, we see that God's covenant people going their own way at times, who, who wrongly make decisions apart from God, uh, yet God's hand of providence constantly at work through it all. Through those decisions that we make in a right way, uh, where we seek God's will, and through those where we go our own way. Both, both God's hand of providence at work. Uh, and that can bring uh, a, a great deal of comfort to us. Uh, we can know that God is constantly redeeming lives, redeeming circumstances, yet often, most often, in a way that is hidden from us. And you know, that's what uh, is, again, a great thing about the book of Ruth, because it's, it, it allows us to be in the place in which we can look into the life of uh, what turns out to be a fairly insignificant family that's initially living there in, in Israel, and, and we can see the decisions that they make, that we can see uh, how they act wrongly in certain cases, yet we can also see God's 
hand at work. We're allowed to uh, give, uh, have vision behind the scenes into this mystery. And I think that as we take this on board and as we realize more and more that not only is it in God's Word and in these circumstances, but it's in these circumstances as we live our lives that God is working in the same way and we begin to trust Him in that way as our God that all of a sudden things change and we're driven to depend upon Him more and more. We're driven to have a heart to ask, Lord, what is Your will in this? Uh, and, and ask that question honestly. And we're driven to, to evermore have a greater sense of His faithfulness uh, in our lives, in the world, in the church. You know, so this morning, uh, we're, we're just introducing the book. We're just going to open it up and uh, we'll look at the, the first five verses. Uh, we're going to be looking at, at the problem that the book uh, is dealing with. It kicks off with this problem right at the beginning. Um, and again, some of the events here, if we were just to read about them in the newspaper or something, we, we might shake our heads and say, why is that even there? Uh, this seems insignificant. There's one family and, and they choose to, to move somewhere and there are these uh, events that take place, uh, but it turns out as we look further, and especially as we get to the very end of this book, that these events are anything but unimportant or in insignificant, that these are, are critical in God's working in His plan. And so let's look for that as we go through the book of Ruth. Again, I'm going to read uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days... When the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilion died. And so the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you uh, that uh, it is through all of your word, including through uh, this story, which is an engaging story, Lord, that we are able to see and, and learn about you and learn about ourselves and uh, learn about your, your church as well. And so I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see uh, give us ears to, to hear, to understand, to take this in, to apply it uh, to our own lives, Lord, that uh, you might do that work of change within us as well, even as we see it done within those who are in this uh, story here in Ruth. Uh, we thank you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever known anyone who, and perhaps it's true of, of some who are here today, uh, whose life uh, at some point began to mirror something like one of those 
we don't have one on our playground that's like this, but a, a slide, a, a children's slide that, that starts up at the top and it's pretty steep and it, it goes down all the way to the bottom until it reaches the ground, that spot at which you can't go any further down. Uh, you know, it was some time back that I remember spending some time with, uh, with a, a man who described that uh, in his life. He said it all began at a particular point, uh, but prior to that, he said he, he lived what we might uh, deem to be a, a fairly normal life. He grew up in a home with uh, a mother and father who seemed to, to care for him. He went through some amount of schooling. He got a job or a couple of jobs uh, later. Um, so seemingly pretty straightforward. But as he told it, then there were circumstances that came into his life that took him from, from here a notch down at a time and another and another until uh, at one point he said he, he ended up in jail for a crime that he didn't commit. But while he was there in jail, he lost his, uh, his car and uh, he lost other uh, belongings that he had as well, any means of support, and it took him to that spot at the very bottom uh, where you hit the ground. And that was the point at which I and there were others as well who had the, the opportunity to kind of enter into his life and his story. Uh, that's the type of situation that we're given here in the opening uh, verses of the book of Ruth. Now, it may not seem like that to you. It may not seem so clear because you've got to recognize that there have been about 3,000 years that have transpired since that time and today. 2,000, I'm sorry, 1,000 up to uh, the, the, the time when Christ walked upon the earth, 2,000 since that time. Uh, and so there are changes in culture. There are changes in what it looks like to be rock bottom. Uh, yet a couple of things that we need to know here, uh, in particular about Naomi. Uh, and one thing is that this, this book really is about Naomi. The main character here is Naomi, even though Ruth plays a critical role in it. Uh, but Naomi, at the very beginning of this, what we see, the picture that we're given, best we can see is that she is set, that she is full, she is prosperous, she is secure. If a woman in this day had a husband, she had security. And we find out later in the story that they, they also had land, and her husband seemed to have a, a, a pretty high standing in the, the community there. Uh, and Naomi didn't only have Elimelech, her husband, but you'll notice that she had two sons, Mahlon and Kilion. Uh, which meant that she had a full family and she had future security. Her sons and, and their families uh, would be assumed that they would have families and they would continue to care for their parents as they got older. That was uh, assumed in that culture. And so, so life for Naomi was good. It was sweet. In fact, that's what her name, Naomi, actually means. It's sweet or uh, pleasant. But there was a point in which everything began, that downward slide. Elimelech made a decision, apparently, uh, for himself and for his family. It's mentioned there in, 
in verse 1 and again in verse 2. Uh, he made a decision to leave Bethlehem, to leave Judah, to leave uh, the, the land of God's promise and God's people and to go for an extended time. It says sojourn. That was to travel and live amongst, uh, not permanently, but to live amongst for an extended time uh, in this land. It was the land of, of Moab, which we know to be amongst a, a pagan people who didn't know the Lord. Now that was the decision that Elimelech made and it was following that decision that this downward slide began to take place. And it took place over, we were given it here, a period of ten years. And during that time, Naomi experienced complete and total loss, at least in her eyes and in the eyes of uh, those in that culture, those around her. Now she went from the point of being full, it's kind of at the top, uh, all the way down to being empty and being without. If you look at verse 5, that's how this ends. It says, They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilion died. That's after her, her husband had died, so that the woman was left without. Without her husband. Without her two sons. You know, later... Uh, we'll read later in chapter 1 uh, that she'll actually request that her name be changed uh, because she's no longer in a place that is sweet, but now it's bitter. Uh, the implication that's given here points to a connection between these things that because of Elimelech's failure to seek God's will, to follow it, that he and his family paid a tremendous cost. Now, we've got to say here, that's not always the case. We're not always to, to tell that I took this action in my life, I didn't follow God's will, and therefore this that's happening in my life is connected to that. We can't most often make that connection, but in Scripture, we're given certain places where it's, it's clear that's part of the story is that that's taking place, that there are, and this is at the heart of it, there are consequences in our lives, temporal consequences, consequences in this world for our sin. Uh, and that's a principle that we all need to understand and take to heart, that even though believers have been delivered from sin, been delivered from sin and condemnation, you know, Romans 8, 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're delivered from it by the work of Christ. A beautiful message. That's the gospel message. But even though that is true, yet there are still consequences that we today must continue on with. Sometimes difficult, sometimes ugly consequences in our lives because of our sin, often also because of others' sin. And so there is a cost, sometimes significant and lasting, to disobedience by God's people. Ongoing consequences. Now, often I think we fail to think this through and to consider this as we are making our, our plans in life. And that could be on a big scale, something smaller. Uh, we can think that we're doing the right thing. We can think uh, that as we make plans for ourselves, for our families, uh, 
that we're looking to him when really our priorities are more derived from or coming from the world. And it's big word here. It's moral relativism. Uh, in other words, on one side we've got the Lord uh, and His unchanging law. We've got it in His Word. It's, it, it's clear. On the other side, the world, we've got moral relativism. Uh, we, we do what we think is right. Uh, what we feel inside is right, but without that solid basis. And so without even thinking, we can fail to recognize that we belong to the Lord uh, and we're, we're part of His covenant family. And that has very real consequences in the way that we make decisions and in the choices that we make. And so often we can kind of set that aside and think, no, I'm doing the right thing here. This is right before the Lord. Uh, but we fail to take into account uh, His will. And therefore, what do we do? We we sin and we suffer the consequences of that sin in our lives and others might as well. Um, so just a couple of things that come out of this uh, that, that help us here uh, whenever we're, we're making plans out of the knowledge of, uh, of the consequences of sin. Number one, these are pretty uh, straightforward. Number one, make sure, we need to make sure that we are seeking the will of God. And this usually means that we're going to do things differently, have a different mindset than the rest of the world. Secondly, make sure that we're trusting the ways of God, even when they are hidden from us. And so first, we must make sure that we are seeking the will of God. Uh, you know, very often, the motive behind changes that we make in our lives, whether it's something big like, like a move to a different location, uh, or a change of job, or smaller, who we're going to spend time around. Often, the motive for that is some type of problem or adversity that we're facing in our lives, isn't it? And of course, that can be a good reason, uh, a good motivator for making a change. But it can also lead us to move forward without really considering uh, the Lord and what He desires and His will. Uh, clearly, in this case, the reason that Elimelech uh, decided to move his family to Moab was because there was a famine in the land. They faced physical hardship. Uh, and so the question that Elimelech faced, and I'm going to put this in a more general way, uh, the question that is being brought out in this story was this, how would God's people respond when they faced adversity? Would God ever do that? Would He ever bring a test into our lives of that kind to, to, to say, where are they going to go? And it's really for us, right? Where am I going to go? Uh, which am I going to choose uh, so that it's there in black and white? And as Janelle was nodding her head, yes, that's exactly right. He, he would and He does uh, bring these into our lives. And, and behind this question, of course, is uh, for this family, for this people? Would they seek the Lord? Would they seek His ways? Would they seek His will first? Or would they be more driven by what they felt was, was best for themselves? Now let me apply the test here. Let's, let's look at how the book begins. Verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, 
There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And then, again, that, that, that same move to Moab is repeated in verse 2. Now notice that there's a lot of information given in just those first a few words. Uh, you know, one day someone might say to you, back in the days when Biden was president, and that may bring into your mind something, uh, good or bad, I'm going to leave that up to you, but it might bring into your mind something about that time frame. Well, that's, that's what's happening here, yet it's very clear what it was bringing into the minds of the people who would hear this, in the days when the judges ruled, that communicated something particularly ugly. You know, the, the final verse in the book of Judges, and you can look there, it's just the, the, the page prior probably in your Bible to, uh, to, to the book of Ruth, uh, but in that verse, it gives us a good summary of what things were like in that day, uh, and that's what this is talking about. It says in verse 25, Judges 21, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's saying there was no central authority to lead them in the ways of the Lord and, and what is right. There was no moral compass, you might say. The standard by which people lived was not the Lord. It wasn't His Word, but it was the people deciding in their own hearts coming up, well, what is best in this case? Now, that's what Elimelech and his family lived under. What about today for us? Is there a king to follow on the one hand, or does everyone do what is right in his or her own eyes? Now, we know what the answer is for, for the world out there. It has to be, and it's this one. Uh, we know that. But the question is for us and for our family, for our uh, people, for our church. Uh, and it's really a question that must go straight to the heart uh, because it, it, it is what do we consider first in our lives? Is it the Lord and His ways? Or is it, are we drawn to, even though we might justify it and say, yes, I'm following the Lord, but are we drawn to uh, follow what is in our own hearts, what is right there. Uh, look back at Elimelech. Uh, they were facing uh, adversity in the form of famine in the land. And the question was, again, how would they respond to it? And so the decision that they had before them was kind of like the ones that we so often face. You've got to weigh the two sides. You've got to look at the one side and the other and say, you know, which is best in this case? And so on the one side was Moab. Now this little bit of history, this was the nation that many years prior, near the end of Israel's 40 years in the desert, remember they, the, the king there hired Balaam to try to defeat Israel. Remember Balaam and his donkey? Uh, now through Balaam directly, they didn't succeed in this, but they did end up succeeding in drawing many away from Israel in a different way into intermarriages uh, with the people so that the people of Israel began to worship the gods of the land. Uh, and that tells us something about 
Moab. They were out of that very often in Israel's history. They were enemies of, uh, of Israel. They were idol worshipers. They followed their own false god. And so think about what moving there would mean for Elimelech and for his family. Uh, they'd be under the authority of that government uh, in Moab. They'd be surrounded not by God's people, but by those who worshipped false gods. And they would be, therefore, unable to worship the Lord in His congregation as He had ordained and directed that they would. And also, not insignificantly, they would be unable to find uh, among the Israelites, among those who look to the Lord, to find wives who also look to the Lord from uh, their, or for their sons uh, in keeping with God's requirement, His command. And that's exactly, of course, what ended up happening. They ended up marrying Moabite women. Yet, in moving to Moab, they would have food, perhaps abundant food, so it would remove that hardship from them. So that's one possibility. Now the other was that they would remain in Israel. Uh, and that does seem to be a, a, a valid, a right option here. There were others that we see in the story who remained in the land. Think about Boaz. Uh, who remained there in the land of Israel, carrying on business, uh, commerce, uh, cultivating the land. Uh, we see all of that happening when Naomi later returned. And so it seems that leaving wasn't a necessity, but it would have been a hardship for them to remain there. A couple of other uh, things that come out in this story. They were from Bethlehem. And I trust everyone here has heard of Bethlehem, oh little town of Bethlehem. But what you may not know about it is that the name itself is made up of two Hebrew words. Uh, one of those is Beit, which means house, and the other is Lechem, which means bread. Put them together and you got house of bread. And so what they were doing in moving was to move away from the house of bread, even though they didn't have bread at this time. There was famine in the land, but they were moving away from that, away from the Lord's care and protection, away from uh, the people of God, away from the promised land. And so again, this question they were faced with was, how would they respond to adversity? Their answer moved to Moab. Uh, and they did that, probably thinking that this was God's will. But again, remember the time they were in. There was no king in Israel. There was no one to lead them in the will of, uh, of the Lord, to teach them the Word of God. And so they were doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, and what the world has always said is right. It's always said is to avoid hardship, to avoid calamity. That always comes first. You know, when we make decisions for ourselves about where to go, what to do, uh, who to, to spend time with, all of these things, the question is, do we, do we search our heart first? Do we take God's Word and do we know it well enough? Do we apply it to our hearts and to our situations and do we truly seek after what the Lord would have us do? Are we setting that first? Or 
do we think in our mind's heart is this the first thing that the Lord would desire for me? Greater comfort, or greater prosperity, greater health. Do we put that first? Now, not any of these, of course, are bad in and of themselves. This is part of the way that the Lord provides for His people, uh, is to bless them uh, with certain blessings. Uh, yet, the question first is, what would the Lord have us do? What is His will? Uh, the world is always going to say pain is evil. Prosperity and health, uh, that's good. But the Lord works according to a different uh, criteria. Remember when we read out of, uh, out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read, And He humbled you and let you hunger. And then it says, He fed you with manna. Uh, so they had food, but it wasn't what their hearts desired. But it, there was a reason there. It says that He might make you know that a man does not live by bread alone, but a man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Uh, he was shaping this people. He was calling them to Himself. He was teaching them to, to recognize what's best for them. And sometimes that took them, as it does with us, through a path of difficulty, a path of adversity. Now, uh, remember for these people, uh, they were living in the time when the judges ruled. There's a wonderful difference that we have today, and that is that we do have a king, that we're not left to do what is right in our own eyes. We have a king who goes before us, who leads us, who has given us all that we need, who died upon the cross for us that we might have true blessing. Uh, and yes, forgiveness of sins, but then also that we might be shaped and molded and brought nearer and nearer to our Lord to walk with Him day in and day out. I remember in John chapter 6, uh, He said, I am the bread of life. Think of Bethlehem, Beit Lechem. I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. He's not saying we'll never hunger or we'll never have exactly the food that we want, the shelter that we want, the location that we want, all of those things. But He is the bread of life. Now that's, that's the first point. Here in our planning, we must make sure that we're seeking God's will. And when we do that, uh, more and more we will avoid uh, experiencing the consequences that come from following our own hearts and our own sin. But the second point here is really the, you might call it the flip side of that. And it's really what we find throughout the entire remainder of the book of Ruth. Uh, and I want us to have this in mind, even if it's just briefly, uh, as we close with this book. And that is that we, we've got to make sure that we know the ways of the Lord and that we're trusting in the ways of the Lord, even if they're hidden from us. You know, what we see so clearly throughout the rest of this book is that even though there was apparently a significant cost or consequence for disobedience here at the beginning, and even though for us it may be at times severe as it was here, yet through it and beyond it, God is always working something greater, something better in the lives of His people. And that's, that's important. That's foundational. Uh, and this is where the book of Ruth shines. Uh, and it serves as such a, a tremendous help to us. 
Uh, as we look at these opening verses, we can see so clearly this downward trajectory uh, with, with Ruth. If you look at verse 3, uh, it says that Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. It's almost like that last statement is given there, uh, holding out hope. She was left with her, her two sons. But then uh, it says in verse 4, These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other was, was Ruth. And, and right there, we might see that as being a good thing, but taken in the context, we'd recognize what was really happening. Uh, that, that they were... They were drawing the sons and the family away from the Lord and away from what is right and good. And then there's verse 5, And both Mahlon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without. Without her two sons. Without her husband. Uh, there's this downward tra trajectory to the place of evident hopelessness a consequence of sin. Uh, yet even though that is true in the world, and it is true in the world, uh, that unless there's something, when someone is in that place, to temporarily you know, lift them up for a time period. Uh, but but that, is, that is the nature of life in this world, that it, it, these circumstances lead to a place of hopelessness, yet it's never true for God's covenant people. And that's why the psalmist again and again and again conveys such confidence in the face of even very, very difficult circumstances. Uh, you know, we can think of examples of this biblically. Think about Moses. Uh, he murdered an Egyptian. And as a result for his sin, what happened? He wound up in the wilderness for 40 years. He was forced to flee Egypt to, as he was in the, in the wilderness, to endure hardship, uh, face adversity. There was a direct consequence there uh, for Moses and his sin for what he experienced. Yet throughout, what do we see looking back? That God was redeeming the time. In spite of the hardship and even through the hardship uh, that Moses had to endure in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, Moses wasn't able to see what God was doing, but God was preparing him to be the one to shepherd his people, God's people, through that very same wilderness uh, in a way that would become what they look back to as their point of deliverance. And this is exactly what's going on through the rest of the book of Ruth. You know, we've already seen... Uh, Limelech's decision to move his family down to Moab was almost certainly uh, not the right response to adversity. He should have remained in the house of bread amongst God's people in the land of their inheritance. Uh, yet his decision, it did have consequences. It had very difficult consequences, uh, among which were that their sons intermarried with foreigners, with pagans, Yet, what do we find in the rest of the book? You'll notice uh, as we get further into this that again and again and again with Ruth, she's called not Ruth, but she's called Ruth the Moabitess. Uh, it's emphasized she is a foreigner uh, and, and came from a godless culture, but God 
is redeeming that in the lives of His people, bringing people to Himself. And so we see all the way through the Lord redeeming their actions for His own glory and for His own purposes. And I think as we begin more and more to live our lives and to see this in our lives, kind of the hidden hand of the Lord, uh, but we begin to trust this is how God providentially works. That He's working in our lives this way to, to, to use us in spite of our sin, to, to mold us, to shape us, to draw us closer to Himself. And there's got to be this sense of our increasing ability to persevere through adversity and to lead us to a point of greater dependence upon the Lord and have a greater sense and a love for His faithfulness in all things uh, as day after day we live uh, with, a, with a heart of underlying joy. It may not be uh, bubbling over joy in the midst of our circumstances, uh, but it's an underlying joy because we know the Lord and we know that we're in a right place together with Him. Now, of course, uh, this is never going to give anybody a license to sin. Uh, that as we, as we uh, more and more depart from the Lord, the more and more He draws us close to Him. There is a, a statement of fact in that, but uh, let's not go into the, the backwards and wrong thinking, but it does bring home the reality that God uses the frail and He uses the weak, fallible, those who, who turn away and go their own way. He uses us as instruments in His providence to, to do His gospel work in this world. And that should be a great encouragement to us. And so as we go through the book of Ruth, let's look for that. Let's look to see how God is behind the scenes, His hidden hand is at work. And more and more, let's begin to see that in our own lives and, and, and know that He is at he is present in our lives, working in His power to redeem and to draw closer to Him and to do His work. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do thank You this morning uh, for the ways that You work. And even though we often are blind to those in our own lives until You give us that understanding and that eyesight, we thank You, Lord, that we can see it in Your Word. We can know it. We can believe it, and we can begin to see it more and more in our lives, and we can trust in it. We can trust ourselves to you. Now, I pray for us as we spend, in, spend time in this uh, book of Ruth. Uh, Lord, open our eyes to see you in a greater way for who you truly are, as well as ourselves, uh, and uh, give us a greater sense, Lord, of your faithfulness, of your kindness, of your love for us even through the adversity that we face in our lives. We do pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.